Our text this morning comes from Job chapter 23. This is the first part of Job's answer to Eliphaz's third speech. Uh, I know it's been a while since we um, have been looking at Job. I've been gone for two weeks, uh, but uh, we're back now and we will pick this up. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's not a very long chapter, uh, very not, not a terribly complex uh, passage. Uh, before we look at it, though, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he had blessed the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come again before you this morning. We come before your word, the word that you gave your prophets by your Holy Spirit. And we ask, Father, that you would give us that same word today, uh, that your Holy Spirit would attend to the reading of your word and the preaching of it. But not only that, that your Holy Spirit would dwell within our hearts and attend to the hearing of it that this word might find good soil. And we pray, dear Lord, that even as we listen to your word today, that your Holy Spirit would, as Christ told us he would, point us unto the Savior. And we ask that uh, our lives would be shaped by him, and that we would be taught uh, the gospel, that we would be taught your mercy, that we would be taught our duty. And that we would respond in faith and trust and obedience. That we might walk in your light. And that we might delight in your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word from the 23rd chapter of the book of Job. Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him that I might come even to his seat. I would order my calls before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. There the righteous might dispute with him, and so should I be delivered forever from my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him, he hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept, and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandments of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. But he, is on what, but he is in one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. For he performeth the thing that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. Therefore am I troubled at his presence, when I consider I am afraid of him. For God maketh my heart soft, and the Almighty troubleth me. Because I was not cut off before the darkness, neither hath he covered the darkness from my face. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Amen. Here, Job is responding to uh, the counsel of Eliphaz, the counsel of Eliphaz that he gives in chapter 22, uh, verse 21, Acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace. Therefore good shall come unto thee. 
Eliphaz's argument is that Job's problems have come upon him because he's a wicked and hypocritical, cruel taskmaster, a judge, an oppressor of the weak, an oppressor of the poor, that he does these things in secret, that nobody has been able to find him out except God has finally found him out. But because Job still lives, there is yet hope. And Eliphaz is saying, seek unto the Lord in repentance. Now, Job has dealt with Eliphaz's uh, charges of hypocrisy and, and the, the notion that people only suffer because of sin and only suffer because that's the only thing God does with suffering is punish iniquity which isn't true. And we have seen Job come circle, full circle in this, that we've already seen through the complaints and through the disputes that Job is starting to see some of the good that comes from this, his ignorance and his suffering, that he is getting a deeper view of what God has in store for him and a deeper view of what God can do even in the midst of great evil and unpleasantness. Uh, we begin to see that, I think it's chapter seven, uh, 17, uh, where in verses 8 and 9, he recognizes that his trials, while trying for him, will help fortify the righteous and the innocent that are accused like him in the future. And we see it again most spectacularly in chapter 19 when he picks back up his discourse and he is plunging the depth of his hope and his recognition that God will not let him be unvindicated. And with a faith similar to Abraham, who was told that Isaac would be uh, the chosen seed and, and uh, the means by which uh, Abraham's descendants would be made as numerous as the sands of the seashore. Nevertheless, when he was told that he must go and sacrifice Isaac... We're, we are reminded that Abraham does this because he believes God is so truthful to his word that if he does kill Isaac, he will also raise him up again from the dead. In a similar sort of logic, Job recognizes that God is so good and true and just and merciful that he will be vindicated even if that means, and he's beginning to see that that certainly does mean, that it will be through his Redeemer that he will see in his flesh even after the worms have consumed his body. In other words, a very clear, one of the clearest statements of bodily resurrection that we have in the Old Testament. He also, in a little bit more darker way, in chapter 21, has recognized that while he has been speaking about the wicked and the evil, that they, in this life, often get away with it and prosper he has also got insight to that truth just like you know the other side of the coin of his resurrection that there is an everlasting punishment and judgment that awaits the wicked that they though they in this life might escape the the hardships due for their sins yet there really is no escape with god these things have job learned but that does not change the fact that Job is suffering now. That God is hidden from him. And that what he wants, he does not have presently, which is why this, we think of Job as, as the great exemplar of endurance, of patience, of long-suffering, because he did suffer for a long time. 
And we see in this passage that the hiddenness of God is itself a trial of faith within the trials that we endure in other ways. That part of what makes the trials trials, to the tribulations tribulations, is that during the midst of them, we do not see the Lord of mercy as the Lord of mercy. And, and that is itself uh, something that taxes us, it should consume us, it should in, in many ways direct our attention. And we see Job, uh, Eliphaz says, seek for the Lord. And Job is saying, what have I been doing but seeking for the Lord? This has been all of my desire that I would have an audience with God. This is what Bildad and Zophar have been accusing me of arrogance for because I want to be in the presence of God to lay out my course for him. Verses 3 through 5, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my calls before him and fill my mouth with arguments, and I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Understand, this is Job viewing God in a very gracious way. Uh, he doesn't, he's not putting himself above God when he says that he would lay out his arguments. But he knows that God is that only judge that can relieve his troubles. And he, the arguments here is a legal term. He's laying out his case before the, the Lord God. And he knows that God has a reason. He just doesn't know what it is. But he longs to hear what God would say. He longs to hear God's verdict. He knows God's verdict is not in the verdict of his friends. Because that is based on false accusations. He knows he's not a hypocrite. He knows that the accusations are false. Satan is a, a very devious man. Not man, thing, spirit, evil one. Uh, he is, Satan means the accuser. And sometimes Satan accuses with our actual sins, but sometimes he accuses us with false sins. And one of the ways he's afflicting Job here in this, in this ordeal is with these friends who have prejudicially prejudged Job. That is itself a trial of your faith. This is why the world speaks. The world wants us to believe that Christianity, that the faith that we hold dear, is itself a hypocrisy. And therefore you get... Netflix movies about how if, if Christians took control, this would be a, a miserable life where all the women would be shrouded in, in weird sort of outfits and, and all sorts of oppression, forgetting it was Christianity that ended such a world in the ancient times. And it's only been since the dissolution of that coherent, not that everybody was faithful, but a coherency of Christendom that we get these, this balkanization and, and the injustices and the, the, the chaos that we are reaping today. But still, the accusation is, if you're a Christian, you must be a hypocrite. And if, if you have high ideals, uh, you must be an oppressor. Christianity, what our faith teaches us, is to recognize that, yes, God calls us unto holiness, and our great hope is to be holy even as He is holy. But it also recognizes that the whole reason there is a good news is because we are not holy, that we are sinners, and Christ receives us anyway and changes us. 
But this is that hiddenness of God. The fact that these works are, are not uh, spectacular and obvious in every way is itself a trial. And, and, and it was a trial for Job. And God's sovereignty in the way that he executes providence for Job gives him no comfort. The, the idea that you can't judge how the Lord thinks of you based on outward actions. And we've seen this several times. If you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 1. For all this I considered in my heart, even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. And no man knows either his love or his hatred by all that is done before them. All things come alike unto all men. So to the wicked, just as to the righteous. So to the good, just as to the bad. So to the clean, as to the unclean. That external providences give nothing, no indication oftentimes of God's uh, secret and abiding love or approval or disapproval. Job brings voice to this. He's brought it several times before. But, but if you look in verse 13, he says, you know, he's, I believe God's going to vindicate me. I've been faithful to him. I have some ground for this. But nevertheless, he is of one mind. And who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. For he performs the things that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. And therefore I am troubled at his presence when I consider I am afraid of him. That there is a vastness in God's sovereignty. His times are not our time. God doesn't, God doesn't consult our calendars when he makes his calendar out. God doesn't consult our needs and necessities when he is planning whatever he is planning. Now, we are told and we believe by faith that God works all these things for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. But the fact that we have to be told them is that when we are experiencing them, we don't always experience that love and that good. That we have to look for it. That we have to trust him for it. Jesus, it's hard. Jesus uh, on the night that he was betrayed, knew that he was going to his crucifixion, knew that he was undergoing the wrath of his father. And he was troubled. It's okay to be troubled by the suffering that you suffer, even when you recognize at the same time it's from the hand of God and is doing good. Jesus nowhere doubted his father's purpose. Nowhere shrunk back from doing his father's will. But Jesus was God in the flesh. And in the flesh he suffered. And in the flesh he was subject to all the things you and I are subject to. And he knew he needed God's support there. And of course, you know, we, we sometimes think that when Jesus says, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. That God doesn't answer that prayer. He still goes to his death. But what does he do in the midst of that? He sends angels to relieve him. To angels to sustain him. He has the Father's love. Even when the Father says, you will suffer this, the Father nevertheless makes it easier for the Son to do it. And that should be, if that's the way he does his Son, who had such a great task before him, it's the way he does us too. But nevertheless, it's hard. 
And it should give it. This is why the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fact that God is sovereign and can and is not at all... It doesn't take away from His goodness to treat us like the vessels of His creation that we are. It should highlight, nevertheless, the good that He is working and intending for us. But it's hard to see in the moment. And it's hard for Job to see in the moment. And he's honest about it. Because he does trust the Lord, even the Lord who afflicts him. He knows the way I take, verse 10. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. In chapter 13, verse 16, 15 and 16, he says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain my own cause before him. He also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite shall not come from him. Notice how he is setting his hope on the nature of God. Not God as he perceives him right then. Not God as he's perceiving the work of God. But God as he knows him to be. And therefore, even in the midst of being killed by God, he will trust God. That is the same faith that... Paul is advocating in Romans 8 when he says the sufferings of this present time will redound to the glory in eternity. Or in 2 Corinthians, uh, the sufferings for the present time work a far greater weight of glory. Or, you know, the sufferings that we're doing now just confirm God's mercy in us. And therefore I know that God works all things for good. Or... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, even enter into the slaying of me. I know how to be based and to prosper, how to suffer and to be relieved. This is the common admonition. This is basically the whole warp and woof of what it means to believe, to have faith, to trust in the Lord. Because if we always saw God kind in his mercy and, 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 and doing good things only, uh, our trust would be very, as superficial as that does when a parent is the same way to a child. And, and, our, and just as uh, we, we're thinking of spoiled children now, aren't we? And, and we, we forget that uh, there are times when parents have to be harsh for the betterment of their children, even when their children aren't being bad. One of my daughters, I will not name names, uh, for a while, it just it was a weird sort of thing in her life. Every Saturday morning, she was a weepy mess until you spanked her. So we had to go through and try to entrap her so that we could spank her for good ways so that she'd be happy again. It happens. Children are weird. Um, but... There are times when you have to do things that don't make sense. Even you and I have to do things that don't make sense. God never does something that doesn't make sense to Him. But for the well-being of His world, He does things, and He doesn't always tell us why. And we have to trust Him. And Job does. Uh, Job's hope is founded on God's mercy. Look at verses 6 and 7. He, in verses 3 through 5, he's longed for the presence of God. He knows what he will do when he gets it. And yet, he answers a certain objection that Job's friends have brought back to him time and time again. You, who are you to stand and reason with God? 
And he, he, for, he, he foregoes this objection. He says, will he plead against me in his great power? Will he treat me like the God he is well above and me like the ant I am, the worm that I am? No. And your translation will say, or the Pew translation will say, no, but he will, put, uh, well, he will give attention to me. Uh, my translation says, no, but he would put strength in me. There's a, the attention or, or strength is a word that's not there. You have to kind of, it's just an elision. Uh, the translators take the strength or the great power in the previous part of the verse and import it here. And that's good and necessary. Uh, but you can also, attention fits the context as well. And both of it basically means the same thing. That God is going to condescend. God is going to provide what he requires. That God is going to be merciful. God gives you the strength that you need in his son. So that you can come before him. Uh, now, in Job 16.21 his desire, oh, that I might plead with man, oh, that one might plead for a man with God, as a man pleadeth with his neighbor. I need an advocate. And then in chapter 19, 25, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that I shall see him on the ashes in the latter day. I, in other words, his hopes and his desires, his, his feeling of what was right and what he needed with God then creates in his faith a trust that God will give what is needed. That advocate, Redeemer is an advocate. Uh, one that, that comes and, and delivers him who needs it. And indeed we see that in the gospel. It turned to what we read earlier together in, in the first epistle of John chapter 1. If you go back to chapter 1 just a little bit, in verse 8 and following, he says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, though, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, have not, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In other words, and we don't want to separate those, you know, even though there's a chapter, it goes from one chapter to the next. Remember, the chapters aren't original. John is saying there that God is faithful to forgive us because he provides that propitiation. God himself provided what you need, which is Jesus Christ. So when we go to God, we're not bringing anything of our own worth to him. We're bringing back to him what he has given us. We offer unto the Lord Himself in our life. That's what faith does. It unites us to the work of Jesus Christ. And God gives us that strength we need in His Son. That's why Jesus is the gift of His Father's love. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, the Son doesn't die so that so that God might cease to be angry with us. The Son dies because God loves us, but we need that reconciliation because of sin. That sin is an affront to His justice, but, but He loved us despite that sin, and He gives us Jesus Christ. Uh, he made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might take on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21, 1 Corinthians one. 
30 and 31. He, God made Jesus Christ our wisdom, righteousness, redemption, and sanctification. That He might be all in all. That He might have all the glory. That we might be faithful to Him. And Job sees this. What the Lord, the Lord will condescend by grace. His attention to Him is a gift. It's, it's a putting into Job what Job needs. It is a bit of condescension on God's part, but it's also an, elevation, uh, 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 an elevating of Job also on God's part by grace. And, and what gives him this hope, though, you'll notice, it's not, the, it's not the, the, his vindication, it's not his right standing with God, but it gives him the hope that God will nevertheless be merciful to him is because of his own faith. That his living faith in the Lord fortifies him for this trial. We see this in 11 and 12. My foot hath, his steps, my foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. You accuse me of hypocrisy and tyranny, but I am following in the way of the Lord. And neither have I gone back from the commandments of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food or my appointed portion. Man shall not live... Uh, by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Lord, says Moses in Deuteronomy 8. Jesus uh, rebukes Satan with it in Matthew 4 4. Here we find the same truth in Job, which means in some form or fashion, Job had revelation. Maybe not written words, but he had handed down to him the word of God, the instruction of God. He, he was not just guessing at the nature of God. He had a firm foundation upon which to build his faith. And he did so. His obedience, it nullifies the baseless accusations of, of his oppression. And, and because God was his nourishment, and really this is what we're going to be celebrating later this morning, the nourishment that we have in the word of God, because this is the bread and the cup, Represent and seal the body and blood of Jesus Christ. But who is Jesus Christ but the Word of God? So we, by action, by ingestion, by, by drinking, will give a visible uh, testimony to that faith that finds its nourishment and God alone. And if nourishment, then you are shaped by it. It becomes the formation of who we are. Uh, because God was his nourishment, he expected God to nourish him. Because God was his hope, he expected God to be faithful to that hope. Because God was his deliverer, he expected God to deliver him. Now we can't really say that of anybody less than God. Because there are all sorts of things that might obstruct that. God himself and his providence for one thing. But when you put your faith in the Lord, and it's founded on something he himself has said, his own promises, then you can hope to, you can bet on it. You can bet the farm on it. You can put all those chickens, all those eggs in that one basket. Because there's one who will deliver. That the only real nourishment you need, this is not to say that you can't eat and you can't drink, that if you are only fed by the word of the Lord, no, no, no. It's, 
Think of what Jesus himself says. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all his righteousness. And all those other things that your heavenly father knows that you need, he will provide for you. But they only become sure and and useful to us when they become secondary priorities. Job had God as his first priority. And he was able to persevere against accusations that were harsh. Accusations that that might have undermined even better men uh, if, if they had not put their faith in Christ. Remember, this is a man who's not just suffering. He has had his children taken from him in ways that clearly mark divine disfavor. Uh, the, the reign of fire from heaven. You know, he got the Sodom and Gomorrah treatment. The whirlwind where God will come eventually uh, to speak to him. That very thing that the devil used to take away his children, God will use to reveal himself unto Job. These weren't minor just tragedies. These were tragedies designed to undermine his faith in God. And yet he held firm. Faithful patience, and this is going to sound like a tautology, faithful patience upholds faith. That's probably the best lesson from this passage this morning. Our faithfulness to what God has told us will increase and nourish that faith that we have in God. So uh, we might say this in a different way. We might say obedience nourishes our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not just obedience like tacking off the, the, I've done this, I haven't done this. And and in a way to kind of gain favor with God. It's a faithfulness to God. It is the idea that that the Lord is worthy to, to be followed. The Lord is worthy to be obeyed. The Lord is worthy to give the authority in your life to shape your priorities. And once we do that and live according to that, then we can see His good even in the midst of of perhaps a frowning providence. Our hard times when we can't see God in any other way. Such trials of faith, they're appointed for your salvation. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. Uh, This isn't just something outside the gospel and one-time thing. Certainly, Job experiences it in such a dramatic way that he might be the help for all of us to experience it in a less dramatic way. But it's still something common to the believers. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations or trials. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Note what he says here. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That there is a certain sense in which the absence of Christ in the body, his reigning at the right hand of God the Father, is good for your faith, is designed to be good for your faith. Uh, that, That we need to understand that even though we pray earnestly, even so, Lord Jesus, come. That His timing is His own. 
He is of one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desires, even that he does, he performs the things that he has appointed for us, and many such things are with him. His timing is his own, it's not yours, it's not mine. But nevertheless, his will towards you is clear. His will towards you is trustworthy. And his will he has made uh, explicit in Jesus Christ. All who come to me, none will be cast out. But if you come unto the Lord Jesus Christ, there is, even in the midst of death, life. And a clear conscience, shaped by his word, therefore becomes priceless. Because it gives us the hope and the testimony that that grace is working in us. And so we should desire to be able to say with Job, My foots have held his steps, his way I have kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandments of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. In John chapter 7, uh, in verses 16 and 17, uh, Jesus is, is teaching them. Uh, they wonder about something. Uh, Jesus says to them, My doctrine is not mine, but him that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. In other words, doing the will of the Lord gives you eyes that you would not have otherwise to see the truth, the goodness that he's working in the midst of hard times. That sometimes obedience or or better, again, faithful patience, faithful enduring, is the way of understanding, is the way of knowledge. And we can read the Scriptures all day long, and we ought to be reading the Scriptures all day long. They can't be a light to our path if we do not know them. But they don't become, we don't see the wisdom of them until we start doing them and living according to them. You're never going to see the full grace and glory of the life that Jesus Christ has for you if all you're doing is reading about it and never doing it. Doing it, though, is the hard part. That's the, that's the hiccup. That's, the, that's where Satan comes in and says, yeah, but you're going to miss out on a whole lot. And the Lord says, try me. Uh, if you're doing it, If you do his will, you'll give the accuser no fuel. All the accusations will fall flat because you will know your conscience. Uh, Our great hope is in the Lord that he will vindicate us. But a great crutch for that hope, a great fortification, a a buttress for that hope is our own good conscience that we are faithful to his word. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And though he reigns in heaven above, and we see but glimpses of his grace here below, we ask, dear Lord, that you would give us nevertheless the faith and the patience to follow you, to live from your word, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that his priorities would be our priorities, that his commandments would be our necessary food, that we would be nourished by your grace and return unto you gratitude, thanksgiving, and praise. And we ask, dear Lord, that we would then see those hidden and unseen ways that you have, that we might glimpse, even as we believe, 
that you work all things for good for those who love you, whom you've called according to your own purpose. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.